0: Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Rationable Podcast. Today it's going to be a little bit weird. There's going to be some background noise, which I'm sorry about, but there's really nothing I can do about it. I'm recording during the daytime and uh, of course there are birds, there's a storm happening outside, there's going to be some weird stuff. So sorry for that in advance, but uh, let's jump in and start talking about turmeric and if it is actually good for your health. So we Indians love our spices and none more than turmeric. This essential yellow ingredient in most Indian recipes was discovered by Ayurveda and adopted by the West and has now come home once again in the form of alternative medicine or even mainstream medicine as doctors have started prescribing it. This is all because of a fascinating chemical that turmeric contains called curcumin. This molecule is making waves across the world and is being touted as a panacea of sorts that can heal almost anything that you can think of. I mean, arthritis, diabetes, aches, pains, sore throats, baldness, obesity, heart disease, and, well, we could have guessed it, even cancer. But does curcumin work? If it does, will eating turmeric have the same effect? What are the side effects of turmeric, if any? Is it medicine yet, or is it still in the realm of alternative or complementary medicine? We are getting to the bottom of this today. Now first, how did it all start? Turmeric has been described in the Ayurvedic texts for hundreds of years, thousands maybe. Only recently, relatively speaking, a French chemist called Pierre-Joseph Pelletier, I hope I didn't butcher the name, isolated the yellow colouring matter in turmeric and called it curcumin. This was back in 1815. Recently, it has made a comeback, as things do. There's no real knowing why. Trends come and trends go, but this one is sticking around for some reason. And because it's said to be an eastern medicine and a natural remedy, it's gained an all new fervour in India too. Now, One of the main reasons why curcumin has uh, gained so much steam is because of the power of social media and all the research that's gone into it. Even doctors have been prescribing it to their patients. I mean, I've had two doctors recommend I try it, saying that there's a lot of promising research supporting its anti-inflammatory properties. Now, I have family members and friends who swear by it, saying it's treated some ailments that even the doctors can't fix or explain in some cases. In fact, people have been saying that it can treat all sorts of things, like inflammatory diseases, like chronic pain, like fibromyalgia, arthritis and psoriasis, It's just the beginning. Many also claim that it cures boredness, helps with coughs, helps you lose weight, lowers cholesterol, prevents dementia, and yeah, as I mentioned before, even cancer. All this is very exciting, but we need to be very careful. The first thing that comes to my mind when I see all these diseases it can cure is how is it even possible? Like Such remedies are called cure-alls or panaceas. And that's the problem because panaceas can't work. Let me explain why. Every disease or disorder we experience is triggered by a different thing or presents in a unique way in the human body. Our physiology is super complex and All its problems are not rooted in one place. Like take a car as an analogy, right? If you take a flat tire, putting fuel in the car isn't going to fix the problem. You have to change the tire. Now imagine the brakes aren't working or the steering wheel is stuck or there's some weird sound coming from the engine. A panacea is like putting fuel into the car. I wouldn't give it as much credit as being fuel, but, you know, go with me on this. Is like putting fuel in the car no matter what the problem is and expecting it to get fixed. The truth is, it isn't going to fix any of these problems. The only thing it'll do is add fuel to a car. But how are you going to drive, how far are you going to drive on a flat tire or a dead engine? You're not going to go far at all, if, 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 if any distance. It's the same deal with medicines. And if you're, you're not going to take crocine for a stomach ache or digene for back pain, every problem is different and it needs a different treatment. So curcumin being a panacea is unrealistic and implausible. And there's a lot of research gone into it to find out what it really does. The problem is most of these research studies are of poor quality and are done in vitro, meaning in glass in science speak, in Latin otherwise. That means that the tests have been done on petri dishes and in test tubes in a lab. This is the very first step in a research process. How things react in a test tube though, doesn't even come close to how a chemical would work inside a human body or inside a living thing. These are very preliminary things. Now there have been a few studies on people, but these human trials are so small and with such poor quality that we really can't rely on them for anything. These tests haven't even been replicated by independent labs to corroborate the findings. A review in the Journal of Medicinal Chemistry said this. The likely false activity of curcumin in vitro and in vivo, which means inside a person or an animal." has resulted in greater than 120 clinical trials of curcuminoids against several diseases. No double-blinded, placebo-controlled clinical trial of curcumin has been successful. The manuscript reviews the essential medicinal chemistry of curcumin and provides evidence that curcumin is an unstable, reactive, non-bioavailable compound and therefore a highly improbable lead. Now we'll come back to some of these terminologies later. But let's let's see what this means. So is there any good evidence that curcumin works? Nope. At best, nothing concrete for sure. But supplement companies like to tell you how much research has gone into this product, but don't tell you what the studies found, or even how reliable the findings are. Because who would possibly want to do that? and destroy all those sweet, sweet sales. There is some valid research done and it's found some interesting stuff though. It so happens that curcumin is not easy for the body to absorb. Most of it goes in through one end and out the other. It makes your poop a bit, a bit yellow too, if you have a lot of it. And if you eat turmeric, then you end up consuming even less curcumin because only 3% of the spice is curcumin. So you barely absorb any of it anyway, unless you eat it with pepper, which contains a chemical called piperine, which helps more curcumin get absorbed by the body. But the problem still remains. We yet don't know for sure what happens once it gets absorbed. Now, what about the side effects? Dr. Harriet Hall, MD, has described it quite well in her article on sciencebasedmedicine.org. Turmeric is generally considered safe, but high doses have caused indigestion, nausea, vomiting, reflux, diarrhea, liver problems, and worsening of gallbladder disease. The NMCD warns that it may interact with anticoagulants and antiplatelet drugs to increase the risk of bleeding, that it should be used with caution in patients with gallstones or gallbladder disease and in patients with gastroesophageal reflux disease and that it should be discontinued at least two weeks before elective surgery. Purchasers of supplements are not given that information. So why are doctors prescribing it? See, doctors are humans too, and a lot of studies have been published about curcumin that have a sheen of credibility to them, but they are all still small and low quality studies. And a large number of them doesn't change the fact that they are bad. Nonsense is still nonsense, regardless of the quantity of nonsense that you have. And this has to play a role in the doctor's mind. So doctors are also subject to the same biases and fallacies as everyone else. If some of their trusted colleagues say that it, uh, it's helped their patients, even if it's due to a confirmation bias somewhere, the chances are that they will prescribe it to their own patients. Depending on how convinced they and their patients are about the effect, it's not inconceivable that they'll see some positive trends here and there. The doctors that prescribed it to me, for example, said that I could give it a shot as some of their patients felt relief from inflammation and pain. I had minor surgery for sleep apnea in this case. The pain and swelling was getting better a little bit every day, as I'm sure it would have been for all the other patients. I also had taken pain meds to manage it. Taking an extra supplement on top of that could have helped if the remedy was reliable. But then, how would my doctors or I figure out which medicine was having the beneficial effect? In such a situation, it's easy to give credit to the wrong treatment, especially when there's a slew of other treatments that the body's natural healing processes are already working on. Plus, if I were fond of alternative medicine, I would have been more willing to overlook everything else and give credit to curcumin. And that goes back to the doctor, who is always happy to see a patient feeling better, which in turn drives them to prescribe it to future patients. It's a positive feedback loop, at least this is how I see things. There's no science behind this but to me it seems like a plausible hypothesis of why doctors prescribe curcumin to their patients. In my case, I refused the curcumin pills and have since recovered fully. So should you take curcumin? Honestly, that's totally up to you. All I can do is give you the facts and those are that we just don't know what curcumin's effects on the body are, if at all. Right now, we just don't know for sure what the beneficial effects will be if you eat it. But I do recommend you go ahead and put it in your cooking. If you're Indian, you probably already do that. I would just recommend you stay skeptical of people's claims about what curcumin does until we have some substantial evidence to support its usage. Oh, and if you're on prescription medicine, do not stop having that and shift all the way over to just taking curcumin for whatever ails you. That is not a smart move because we just literally have no idea what effects it can have on you or not. Now in conclusion, there's something odd about all this hype about this remedy. Turmeric or rather curcumin being so widely consumed in this country should have a profound positive effect on the health of the general population, if all the claims about the benefits of turmeric were valid. However, we don't seem to be an extraordinarily healthy nation. We had the same problems here that plague the rest of the world. We may even be a bit worse off in some cases as compared to first world countries because our population is so vast and our medical infrastructure is struggling to meet all our needs. But we still have heart disease, we still have obesity, cancer and diabetes, hair loss, you know, whatever the problems may be. Of course, we've got all the infectious diseases and autoimmune disorders one can imagine as well. So one can argue that we need to consume larger doses of this stuff then, but how can that be substantiated? There's no evidence to support it. In fact, we have a lot of evidence of what the side effects will be if you do have too much of it. We also know what happens when such hype goes too far and when unlicensed naturopathic practitioners try to use it to make their own concoctions and end up taking lives. Take the story of Jade Eric a 30-year-old woman with eczema. She went to a naturopathic doctor, Kim Kelly, who then gave her an intravenous dose of curcumin mixed with castor oil that wasn't even treated for medical usage. She died very quickly of a cardiac arrest. It was the castor oil that killed her, to be honest, but curcumin was promoted as some kind of magical cure-all on Kelly's website, as is the case with many naturopaths. It's just that he went a step too far. Naturopathy though, is for another episode. Now to tell you about the critical tools that I used to get to the facts behind turmeric. All I did essentially was look for reliable sources. For this topic, I had just had to find as many articles from reliable sources as I could find. I've tried reading through some of the medical literature, but my scientific paper reading skills really aren't up to the mark yet. For that, I depended on examine.com, skeptoid.com, science-based medicine, and a bunch of others that I have put in the show notes. Read them when you get the time. I strongly recommend it.